This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. CMC to miss time. Barkley might be out for the season. What do fantasy owners do now? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Visa, Indeed, and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. As a reminder, we will be publishing the shows on Tuesday mornings, recording during Monday Night Football. So anything that may have happened in that game, we will likely not know about. Boy, Matt, the injuries are piling up. Already with some of the biggest names in the NFL, what's like your just you know your quick reaction to what is going on? Oh, it's horrible. And I had a horrible week two in general, and yet somehow all of that had nothing to do with all of the injuries, which actually I think makes it kind of worse because uh, I can't hide behind the randomness. It was just uh, horrible all the way around. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, thank the fantasy gods that we actually have football games. But, you know, like, I feel like we made this sort of like mental deal with the devil, uh, like in July and August thinking like, okay, I just want there to be a season. Like, I don't, I don't care who's playing in the games. I just want to watch some football. And now like, that's actually going to come about. Like, we're going to see a lot of players, uh, that we didn't think we were going to have to see playing in games and, uh, we're just going to have to deal with it and you still be thankful that we have football in the first place. Yeah, well, you know, I think the thing that really stinks for a lot of these players is they, you know, got back into action, thought they were going to, you know, be able to play this season. And so many of them are just going down. And, you know, maybe this is one of those things where it's like this every season and it just feels different, especially because we had so much anticipation going up to the season. But nonetheless, it has to suck for these guys. Um, You know, I think we just have to start with Christian McCaffrey. It looks like he could miss, miss multiple weeks. We might be talking a month with McCaffrey out of action, who knows, could be longer. Um, on Sunday, Mike Davis actually drew eight targets, caught all eight of them, added 74 yards. We saw Curtis Samuel get a couple of rushes. Granted, uh, you know, this wasn't like the injury to Saquon Barkley where he was out in the first half, I don't believe. Um, but how do you see things shaking out in Carolina's backfield in light of what we saw post-McCaffrey uh, this weekend? I don't think Mike Davis is like league winner uh status or anything but he's intriguing and they really don't have anyone else behind him uh i think he will be the lead back and not that he's going to play uh like the mccaffrey role to perfection but i think they're going to attempt to use him in a similar capacity which uh i mean could mean a pretty good deal of fantasy production for you know two to five weeks something like that Uh, i don't see curtis samuel factoring in all that much. I mean, like I'd say at the most, he gets like five carries per game, but that even that feels aggressive. 
Uh, I think it's just more that he's a, a change of pace that they, they use occasionally, but I think it's Mike Davis, uh, like pretty locked in. Yeah, I agree with that. So I think that um, in terms of waiver wire plays, if if Davis is available and you need the running back help, you're definitely making a move for him, given that it looks like there should be at least a month-long window where he's going to have to be playing somewhat of a role for Carolina. Um, hey, you know, yep. not to um, <clears throat> derail the show, but kind of thinking of waiver wire, because there are so many players uh, on the waiver wire yep. this week. Like, how would you prioritize? Let's assume you need running backs, right? Joshua Kelly is probably available in a lot of leagues, not all leagues, but, you know, certainly some leagues. Daryl Henderson, Jarek McKinnon, Mike Davis, Dion Lewis, and or Wayne Gallman. Like, yep. how do you go about ranking these guys? Well, can I also um, throw Devonta Freeman into that mix? Because I think we should probably bring him up too. Has he signed? He has not or signed. That, okay. As of recording, he has not signed, but we will talk about the hypothetical. So I guess we'll list it without him first. I think that the answer to this really depends on, and I hate to give the caveat, your team needs, but some of that comes down to if you're looking for a guy that could contribute to your team for the full season, then I think it's Joshua Kelly. Because I think that I could see him sustaining the role that we've started to see the entire season. Mike Davis, on the other hand, when McCaffrey comes back, I'm not sure that we see him stay involved. Um, I'm going to talk about these guys first, and then we can kind of rank them out. Dion Lewis, I'm just not convinced that he's going to get enough of a of a role in the absence of Barkley that it shoots him up the board on these rankings. Um, who were the other guys that you mentioned? Jarek McKinnon. Oh, Jarek McKinnon. You know, it's another one. He looked really good. We're going to talk about Tevin Coleman later, who it looks like actually also suffered an injury. So for the time being, it could be McKinnon's backfield. I think I would put them, if you're looking for a guy that you can use all throughout the season, I think I put Kelly at number one. If you don't need him, I actually think I'm probably putting Mike Davis at the top of this list, probably then followed by... Um, Devonta Freeman, if he steps into that Giants role, maybe I even put Freeman over him. And then behind that, we have, um, I think for me, um, well, who am I left with? It's between Lewis and, um, there's Daryl Henderson and Daryl Henderson. Henderson and Jarek McKinnon and Jarek McKinnon. <sighs> I think then I put Henderson, ah, gosh, it's so hard. I think I put Henderson ahead of Lewis and then maybe, McKinnon, uh, if you're looking for real short term, I think I put McKinnon in front of Henderson because Henderson, I'm st I know that uh, you know the other backs are a little bit banged up, but I don't feel that great about knowing if I use a lot of waiver wire, um, you know, bidding dollars on him right now or high priority that he's going to be able to, to deliver for me across the season. Where are you though? Okay, so I think the priority is probably trying to find production across the span of the season. Mm -hmm. So I have Joshua Kelly, number one, because he's already got his locked-in role, and then obviously he explodes if something happens to Austin Eckler. Yeah. I would go, I think, with Daryl Henderson after that. Okay. Because I thought he looked pretty decent. Um, I still don't have a lot of faith in Malcolm Brown, and Cam Akers suffered an injury. You know, we don't really know what's going on with that, but uh, I think Henderson might have a shot, and... If he takes that job, I think he could have it for the entire season, and it's a good offense. 
After that, I would go with Jarek McKinnon because it's kind of similar to the, the Daryl Henderson situation uh, where if he takes the job, he could have it for the whole season, a pretty decent offense. Um, and the guys ahead of him have some injury issues. Then after that, I would go with Mike Davis, who I think will be good, but for like, you know, two to five weeks. And we really just don't know yet. Right. Um, and Dion Lewis, I have no interest in at all. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think like you said there, if we're putting them for the season, that makes sense. Um, what about then in the short term? Because it seemed to me like I, I might like Davis the most in the short term. I think I would still even go with Kelly before Davis mm-hmm. in the short term, you know, because like, I think they will be maybe roughly equivalent in production. Um, and then Kelly has the longer tail of everything he can still do, like, because he's locked into his role for the rest of the season. Got it. Okay. Um, so I think then that basically answers the question about what you do as far as the Giants backfield goes, because neither of us really seem to have any compelling interest in Dion Lewis. Um, so yeah, yeah. And, and I don't, I don't want to invest anything in Devonte Freeman, hoping that he gets signed somewhere. Like, okay, it, it probably will happen. But I just, I don't know. And even if it happens, I don't know how useful he's going to be anyway. Well, let's just run through this hypothetical because it seems like the most likely scenario. If the Giants did go out and sign Freeman, do you then get interested? Not really. Really? Okay, break that down for me. Um, that offense isn't very good. Vontae Freeman is old and doesn't know the offense. Um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's that's yep. the thesis. Okay. You no, know, just I don't think there's gonna and there's nothing to say that he's actually going to be a clear leader over Deion Lewis. Yeah. You know, like they still might split that backfield much more than people who invest in Freeman think we'll, we'll see. So I'm just absolutely hands off. Got it. I think I would be a little bit more interested in Devonta Freeman than you. If he lands in New York, that's not to say that you go out there and you spend your entire budget on him. Um, but I do think that you might have a situation where, um, in comparison to other players that you might have on the back end of your roster, or even some of those uh, guys that we did talk about, he ends up giving your team a little bit more production out of that running back spot. But I do agree. It's not a great offense. So it's not like this is a slam dunk situation by any stretch of the imagination. We are going to take a quick break right now, but we will be back right after this. What's up listeners. This is Curtis Patrick. I just wanted to stop by and say thank you for supporting Rotoviz Radio. You are the absolute best audience in the business, and I know it. As a special thank you, I'm offering 10% off your next Rotoviz subscription. Just use code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's right. Go to rotoviz.com, click subscribe, and enter code 2020RVRADIO at checkout for 10% off. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. It only takes like 10, 15 seconds. Just do it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now, back to the show. So we did kind of skip past as we were talking about Carolina, Matt. I did want to bring up DJ Moore, 8 out of 13 targets on Sunday. Robbie Anderson caught 9 out of 10 and went over 100 again. Looks like this is a team who might be in situations where game scripts help out these receivers. To me, P. 
people were a little bit down on DJ Moore last week. I think this should solidify his spot, and it looks to me like he and Robbie Anderson could coexist. What do you think? Yeah, I think there is the opportunity for both of them to produce. Uh, I guess what that really means is that Curtis Samuel uh, and then especially Ian Thomas is just getting squeezed out. Um, I mean, let's talk a little bit about Ian Thomas. Like, it's not as if I had a lot of hope for him, but he was, you know, locked in as the starter. Uh, he had, you know, flashed a little bit in the past when he'd gotten opportunities uh, when Greg Olson was out. You thought that he might be one of those guys to take a step forward, potentially break out uh, in his third season with enhanced opportunities. And he's gotten the opportunities in terms of playing time, but that hasn't translated at all into anything close to production. He It's not like he's gotten targets and he hasn't been able to do anything with the targets. He hasn't even gotten the targets. So as long as Ian Thomas is basically just a nothing out there, then yeah, there will be enough targets to go around for both DJ Moore uh, and Robbie Anderson. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that Thomas really has an uphill battle now to relevancy. Um, you know, I don't think that anybody would have expected him to really be flirting with like a tight end one type of finish, but I think that we would have thought we'd see a little bit more than this. Um, I do have to ask, though, have you seen the absolutely fantastic clip of Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and Curtis Samuel on the sideline talking about Sir Purr. Yes. That I, I honestly think that is one I don't I loved it. I showed it to my wife. She was actually laughing out loud, some of it at just how ridiculous it is that Sir Purr is there dancing around to absolutely no crowd and then just the conversation as a whole. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. What a job. Yeah, Sir Purr. It really is, especially with nobody in the in the stadium. You're just out there like clapping your hands together and dancing. It's yeah. unbelievable. Like, did somebody By forget way, to call him and tell him he did not have to go to work? Like, I don't get it. Right. By the way, what do you think the odds are that Sir Purr is actually uh, a female under there? Oh, I actually, say, they're they're really high because normally the mascots yeah. are female. Um, yeah. But uh, so I actually worked at a while um, at a uh, like a triple A baseball team. Um, and there was like certain parameters of size that could fit into this, uh, into the costume too. So like, it's not always a female, but like, um, sometimes the, the, the costume is just the size for a female. Did you have anything else that brought up you questioning that? No, just, uh, you know, people are talking about Sir Purr and it's like one of the, you know, like clear mascots where it's like, oh, this is, this is a male. It's like, (laughs) yeah, but you know what? Like it's, it's probably a woman underneath there, like doing all of the dancing. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Well, you know, I had not taken my analysis on Sir Purr that far. Um, This is what people listen to the show for. (laughs) Yeah. For next level analysis. Yes. Mascots. (laughs) Absolutely. But no, if you have not seen it, it might just bring a smile to your day, especially if you're one of these poor owners um, that is dealing with one of these injuries. And another thing that I had not even realized, I was putting the show sheet together earlier today. Since I did it, Cortland Sutton out for the season. Let's talk quickly about how that impacts the receivers in Denver. Also, Drew Locke went down. Jeff Driscoll, fairly efficient in backup. But how disappointing is this? Or can we maybe, as fantasy managers, find a little glimmer of hope that even though Sutton, unfortunately, has his season ended, it might open up a window for younger players to get involved like Jerry Judy? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously devastating for Sutton, who uh, I thought was poised to have a really strong season, given what he did last year and then what he did in college, the draft capital he had invested in him and all of that. So really horrible for him, but uh, obviously creates much more opportunity. And Noah Fant is the guy who really catches my eye here. Um, We saw what he did in week one with no Sutton at all. Uh, You know, we saw what he did last year. Uh, as a rookie, he was incredibly efficient on pretty decent volume. And then obviously has the first round draft capital, the athleticism, like Fant has a legit path to finishing as a top five fantasy tight end. Um, as good as we think Jerry Judy could be. And like, he's looked like a very crisp route runner. Uh, I think he could end up being a really good wide receiver. I just don't think he's going to get there in year one. And it's, you know, the same thing with KJ Hamler. Yep. Super explosive. Uh, with their enhanced opportunities, I still don't think they're going to do enough to be like league winners. But Fant, with his enhanced opportunities, really could be a league winner. Yeah, I think Fant's the one that stood out to me the most. I, I did want to mention KJ Hamler, but you mentioned that. But um, Fant has seemed really explosive. It's looking like a lot of the traits that we believed he was going to bring into the league are translating well. And I agree. Um, now that, uh, you know, there's a decent you know a very sizable amount of targets that have been opened up i think that it's very conceivable we could see him finish that high philip Lindsay is out do you think that the team might but you know it's weird because in my mind i'm still thinking of Lindsay as a guy that they can use more as a receiver but the team hasn't used him that way is there anybody else maybe voice freeman who i believe is actually uh the third option at quarterback for the team you think there's any chance that we see him get involved if you remember going back to when this backfield looked like it was going to be a split between he and Lindsay, he was the one actually getting used in the passing game no i mean i I think it's the (laughs) melvin gordon show for the most part yeah gordon is probably the best receiving back that they have yep yeah okay um i think that covers that All right, a player that I want to take a second to talk about here. He's a guy that Rotoviz has liked. I think that people have been expecting him to emerge, and it just has not come together, and that player is Christian Kirk. Just four targets over the weekend, only converted two of them. He's only converted three of nine targets on the season with just 57 yards. What do you think, Matt? Is there any chance that we see Christian Kirk get back to any level of some of the expectations that people had for him this year? You know, some people thought he could finish as a wide receiver too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm very pessimistic. Um, you know, I was ever on the uh, Curtis, I'm sorry, uh, Christian Kirk bandwagon this year. You know, like in earlier years, you thought there might be a chance, but you know, just look at the three guys he really has to compete with for targets. He's not the strong, like dominant type of receiver that DeAndre Hopkins is. He's not the like middle of the field presence that Larry Fitzgerald is. And he doesn't have like the sheer athleticism that Andy Isabella has. So it's like, what does he have? Like, what does he bring to this offense that one of the other guys doesn't do better than him? Like he's probably like the second best guy in all of those categories, but he doesn't do any one of those things very well. Yeah, it's a really compelling point. And he's one of these players too, where you look at the stats, you look at it from a fantasy points perspective, you just kind of watch these games transpire. And when, if they're using him in really important situations, you just really don't see much of a progression. 
Um, and in fact, if you go back to his rookie season, I actually think that um, he is more like 15 plus point games in his rookie season than he may have in the other years. Hasn't started off this year that tremendously. He did have a 37.8 point performance against Tampa Bay, which yeah. perhaps people are still holding on to. But I think we're starting to reach that point where it seems very unlikely that things come together for Kirk. That's uh, not to say that they can't, but I'm probably changing my focus now to younger players than Kirk if I'm looking for somebody that's going to break out. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you a question here that I'm sure some people are floating around. I'm not asking this on behalf of myself here. Uh, Julio Jones, just two of four, looks like he might be struggling with is it's a hamstring injury, correct? I, I believe so. I believe I mean, it's a hamstring, but with all these injuries, honestly, I'm like starting to, I'm having trouble keeping track of them. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, Calvin Ridley, seven of 10 with two touchdowns and 109 yards. He's crushed it these two games. We see Russell Gage catch a touchdown over the weekend. Also got a pretty good arm, by the way. Julio drops the pass from Gage. Do you think it's possible we're starting to see the changing of the guard in Atlanta, given how good Ridley has been? Um, no, I don't think it's a changing of the guard. I just think it's an amplification of what that offense can do because Ridley is taking a step forward. Gage is better than Muhammad Sanu was, uh, you know, at the tail end of his career when he was in that offense. And I still think that Julio is just as good as he has been. Like we saw what he did in week one. Uh, he was dynamic. Um, and then, you know, he's been dealing now with this hamstring injury. And so I think we just saw a limited Julio in week two, but I think when he's back, when he's healthy, he's still the same guy. I mean, and I think we see that within the offense, just based on what they're able to do. I mean, they are incredibly explosive and that's even with Todd Gurley at running back, which is like kind of amazing that they're able to do this with Gurley at running back. So I like I don't think it's a changing of the guard and I don't mean that like to be disrespectful of like Ridley at all who's been amazing. I just think it means that that offense is all the more potent because now they have like two really true alpha wide receivers. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, I still think that Julio has a strong argument as maybe even a top three wide receiver in the league. He's been that now for about as far back as you can, feels like as you can remember. Um, And and yeah, we're really just kind of seeing Ridley step up. Gage has been fantastic. If you're somebody, or or I want to say this, I feel like sometimes it feels like we have to make things a binary situation, but the Falcons are one of those offenses where we know things just don't work out that way. But let's turn our attention toward another team who has an up and coming young star. And that's the Steelers with Deontay Johnson. I saw you tweet out something about you coming to a realization this morning. How serious were you about that? About you thinking I mean, that DJ Johnson is actually the Steelers' best wide receiver or their wide receiver one, however you framed it, I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, their wide receiver one. I don't I don't know. I mean, he's gotten double-digit targets in the first two games. There was serious hype in the offseason with beat reporters uh, and you know other people just really familiar with the Steelers saying um, that he's their number one. He did lead all rookie wide receivers last year in receptions, and that was in a really good class. And without Ben Roethlisberger throwing him the ball, um, he 
you know, was also pretty dynamic on a per target basis last year. Uh, just like a lot of like the Rotovizzi type of things that would like make a first year player stand out as he enters his second year. Like he had those things. And then obviously he was um, pretty dynamic in college too. So, you know, just check like all of these little boxes and the fact that he in, in the first week of the season had 10 targets and then piled on 13 targets. Like there might've been a hope if you're a, a Juju investor, there might've been a hope entering week two, like, okay, uh, Juju had six targets in week one. Johnson had 10 targets. They're, those numbers are going to merge towards each other. And we're going to see them both have around like eight, eight and a half targets for the year. And you think like, okay, that's fine. They can sort of be like co number ones. Uh, and then that's not at all what happens. Uh, in week two, we see Johnson separate himself even more. And that's despite the fact that Juju had one of the best matchups that any wide receiver had this last week going against Isang Basie, a undrafted rookie cornerback in the slot. Like Juju should have desecrated him. And that did not happen at all. One thing that gives me a little bit of comfort uh, is that although it's not much, like it's just me clinging to straws here, um, is that Juju on a per target basis, 8.4 yards per target, that's very good. That's like very much in line with what he did. If you combine just looking at 2018, 2019, he had 8.4 yards per target. So like this year, he is very much still the player that he was in 2018 and 2019. Deontay Johnson, had 7.4 yards per target last year, 6.5 yards per target this year. Now, obviously, it's a small sample. Um, I I mean, I still think there's the possibility that Juju is the better receiver on a per-target basis, but like maybe not a per-route basis. Like Maybe it's the situation where Johnson is just so good at separating on the outside, he's going to get targets that Juju won't get. Uh, and so Juju might have more efficiency, um, but we end up seeing more total production for Deontay Johnson. And, you know, like maybe, honestly, maybe it's just a blip. Maybe it's just, oh, 23 targets in the first two weeks. And then, you know, like a month later, we're like, wow, that was, uh, that was kind of spike target volume. And now he's just around like six to eight targets. But uh, I think that he's the real deal. Like, I, I think he's going to continue to be the number one receiver in the offense. Well, I mean, he has drawn 144 air yards. Juju's only at 58. Obviously, given the target discrepancy, you'd expect that. Deontay Johnson, though, at 6.3 air yards per target. Juju at just 4.1. In terms of racer, though, Johnson's at 1. Schuster's at 2. And then the Whopper, 0.7 for Johnson, 0.38 for Juju. Um, So... Like you said, it might be too early to tell, but I want to just ask one more thing to kind of finalize your position here. How much of of your of those statements that you made here do you view as an indictment on Schuster and perhaps him not being what we thought he was, or just the fact that Johnson might just be the like the completely the real deal? Yeah, it's not so much an indictment on Juju, although it is a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. I would like to think that he's good enough to separate himself from from Johnson. And, like, it's worth worth pointing out 
that Juju is still pacing for like over 900 yards and obviously like 16 touchdowns, that's not going to stay. Yep. But, you know, like it actually might be a situation we saw like a few years ago where uh, Antonio Brown had a down season in terms of yardage, but ended up leading the league in touchdowns. Like I could see Juju kind of being the guy who doesn't do as much to move the team down the field, but then ends up being targeted much more near the end zone. That would at least be my hope in terms of something that salvages his fantasy value. I still think that Juju is a good player. It's just disappointing that he can't subordinate Johnson and make Johnson the number two receiver. Well, it's particularly painful too uh, for those of us that have heavily invested into Juju after that two touchdown performance. Not like you know, not that he's fallen off or anything, but you, you know, you would have expected going into the season he'd be the one with the twenty three targets at this point. So. We will definitely be talking about Juju and probably Deontay Johnson again as the season moves on, but we are now going to stop for a quick word from our sponsors. Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more qualified candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30. So I thought that Joe Burrow had a pretty good performance on Thursday night through three touchdowns over 300 yards. Uh, fun fact, at this point, the only Cincinnati player to rush for a touchdown, still waiting on Joe Mixon to do so, uh, had a pretty decent connection with CJ Uzoma, who unfortunately is out for the season. I thought they're an encouraging performance for Burrow as it relates to the receivers. I think that helps them out a lot. Uh, are you feeling good about Burrow's prospects long-term? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's looked good. Uh, I mean, just two games, but I don't think he's done anything so far that would make you think he can't play. Um, in week one, you know, I 
I thought he looked really good when he chose to leave the pocket and obviously had that high rushing floor. Um, I think a, a better athlete than people, you know, kind of gave him credit for uh, coming into the NFL. Uh, and then obviously in week two, uh, bringing the Bengals back, uh, you know, I mean, that was a competitive game at the end of it. Uh, 316 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed by what I've seen. Yeah, I really have been too. I thought, um, he showed a, a lot of great traits outside too of just the athleticism, the ability to make the throws. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty encouraged about him. Um, do you see with Uzoma out either Drew Sample or um, I believe it's Seathan Carter uh, becoming like a flex or not a flex, like a streaming type of option at tight end? Or do you think that, um, you know, some of that was just more uh, like the connection between Burrow and Uzoma? I have no idea. Uh, it's it's really weird because Sample was an overdrafted player entering the league, uh, drafted in the second round, right, uh, last year, and that was a total surprise. Um, you know, known more as a blocking tight end at Washington than as someone who was, you know, able to contribute as a receiver and then came in out of nowhere in week two and looked, I mean, I wouldn't say like a legit, NFL tight end because he had only five yards per target, but I mean, he was getting targets. I mean, it's amazing what he did in not that much playing time. Um, so yeah, I think he's streamable. I, I absolutely do. Okay. Nice. Um, a random nugget on Cincinnati that I feel like we should talk about quickly. So AJ green leads the team with 22 targets behind him is Tyler Boyd at 13, but the biggest discrepancy, AJ green has 338 air yards next on the team was Uzoma with 94. So green in the first two games hasn't put together an AJ green like performance, perhaps like what we're used to. Do you think it's on the horizon when you see stuff like 22 targets, 338 air yards? Well, I mean, it, it kind of has to be, or he's not going to get that type of volume moving forward. Mm -hmm. So like something, something is going to change. Either his opportunity is going to regress towards his skill level or uh, like his skill level slash production is going to actually look the way it should, given all of the opportunity that he's been given. I kind of think it's the former, like I kind of think, I don't want to say he's done, but um, that he's shifting into the like elder statesman portion of his career. And uh, like, if I am a Tyler Boyd investor, I am very enthusiastic about the future for him because uh, I think any decline for AJ Green just means many more opportunities for Boyd, who looks like he's able to do something with his opportunities. Yeah, I'm more or less on the on the same page with you there. So let's bounce over to uh, Cleveland. Baker Mayfield put together a better game for sure than he did in week one. We saw a long connection with OBJ. Good game for them. And then both of the backs in Cleveland had a great game. Looked like they should be able to coexist. How much of this do you think was just the matchup? Or are we going to be able to see Chubb and Hunt have such good performances? Maybe not quite to the level of the two combining for around 200 yards. But um, you know, each being guys that you're going to be happy that you played in fantasy. I'm still a little pessimistic about uh, about Chubb. Like, I think he needs to have very opportunistic game script for him just to to get the touches 
that he's going to need to get. But I think Hunt is going to get his usage no matter what. So, and then obviously if, if Chubb suffers an injury at some point, then uh, Hunt is just a, a pants off league winner. Uh, but uh, until that happens, I'm still much more interested in Hunt because he's, I think, week in and week out going to have his usage, whereas uh, for Chubb, we just really don't know. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, the, the touches for Hunt, when you add in what he's getting as a receiver, you know, much more valuable from a fantasy perspective. Not to say that Chubb can't be, but, you know, the touchdowns, too, are going to be super important. Uh, moving along, though, um, <laughs> it's funny that we have to talk about Peyton Barber for a second week because I'm sure there's so many people out there that really upset that they spent a fair amount of, uh, you know, bidding dollars fab on Peyton Barber. Antonio Gibson rushes for a touchdown. Um, as far as that backfield goes, I think that uh, to me, it's looking like we're starting to trend toward Gibson. You know, I think Barber only had one attempt. Yeah, I mean, increasingly, uh, I think it's going to be the Antonio Gibson show and uh, just just waiting, you know, just waiting patiently. Who knows how valuable that will actually be within the offense that he's in. But, uh, you know, I think at a minimum, he's going to start to see more targets. He's had two targets in each game. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that that eventually will bump up closer to like four and as long as he can still get around like 10 carries per game and like the four targets maybe even more like that's pretty encouraging yep um let's talk about jonathan taylor uh 101 yards and a touchdown had 26 carries two receptions looks to me like they are ready to just put all systems go on taylor We're looking at a guy that's going to finish as an RB1. The more interesting conversation, not a lot of work for Naheem Hines. It had looked like we were going to see a situation where they were both going to be getting used. Should we not read too much into this one game against Minnesota? Or if you're somebody that thought they could rely on Hines, should you start to panic? Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't think you ever should have been thinking you could rely on Naheem Hines. but. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what we saw in week two is sort of like the the perfect game script for like the Colts in terms of how they want to run their offense. Like, I don't think they actually want to be in a position where they have to give Naheem Hines a lot of work. I think they, you know, like if they had their, their druthers, uh, they would give like 100% of the backfield opportunities to Jonathan Taylor. So I, yeah, I don't really want any Hines. Yep. So it looks like Paris Campbell could be out indefinitely. Jack Doyle was out over the weekend. Mo Ali Cox comes in in relief for Doyle, racks up 111 receiving yards. Unreal. Unreal, right? Do you think that we see him continue to be involved in the offense given the fact that, uh, you know, there are some injuries piling up? And then also... You know, it doesn't feel to me like we're going to see this great uh, plethora of points coming out of this uh, aerial attack in Indy. I think they are going to need to use him. And Frank Reich, coming from Philadelphia, like he actually likes using two tight end sets quite a bit. Uh, And so the absence of Paris Campbell and the emergence of Mo Ali Cox will give him the excuse or opportunity to use tight ends as the base formation. Uh, and I mean, Mo Ali Cox, obviously everyone knows the story about, you know, he was a basketball player, but you know, um, 
what we saw was impressive. Um, but he's, you know, I don't want to say like he's already 27, like that's anything disqualifying, but it's just like, I was not expecting this. Like I was not mentally prepared for a guy who's kind of like been uh, a hyped person uh, for three years in the league to actually do something. Uh, and so it was impressive what we saw out of him. And I do think he's going to parlay that into much more playing time moving forward. I like it. I was forced into playing him um, when the two tight ends on my Scott Fishbowl team were both out for this week. One of them actually being Jack Doyle, the other being George Kittle. I had to grab him and this might be one of the best, like five minutes before the game kicks off, realizing I need to somebody just grabbing the first name. I see that looks like they could work and in putting them in there. So that was fantastic. Clyde Edwards Alaire cooled off a little bit. Still, though, a pretty decent second performance in the NFL. Are you still as bullish, or would you like to kind of back off just a little bit of how excited you were last week? I'm I'm totally still bullish. Um, yeah, it wasn't as good of a performance, but we did finally see him get some usage in the the passing game, so that's good. Uh, you know, a rookie eventually he will put it all together. I mean, I think the real question is like people still have him. Number one, um, I mean, I guess no one was really aggressive enough except for maybe me to, to bump him up to number one uh, <laughs> in Dynasty, like at the running back position. But I think he probably should be. If he's not there, he's in the conversation. And now I think like part of the conversation, uh, given that Jonathan Taylor is actually going to do something in year one, part of the conversation is like, how high is Jonathan Taylor? You know, like, do you do you have him number one? You know, like, do you put him above Clyde Edwards, Alaire, or, you know, do you put him above and think of it this way? Also, like this past weekend, Saquon gone. He's, he's no longer in the top three. Um, like Christian McCaffrey also suffered an injury this weekend, not nearly as severe as, uh, as Saquon's, but you know, like there is a pretty immediate churn at the top of the dynasty running back ranks and if someone had Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards Alaire in the top three right now, like I wouldn't bat an eye. Like they should be in that conversation. Right. Because when you look out now two seasons, it's really easy to see how these two could be, you know, the one and two sitting there. And then the other thing too is when you're playing Dynasty and you're an owner of McCaffrey or Barkley and you try to go and move them now. Even if these injuries are ones that shouldn't have long lasting effects, that injury is always going to be attached to them now. And it does lower their remaining lifetime value to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. And the, with running backs, the most important like time span is the immediate future. Uh, both just in terms of like how it is that people kind of think about them and think about the production, but then also like historically when you're going to get that production, like running backs, are most productive years one through four. You know, like that is the prime time for a guy to be contributing to your fantasy team. So um, this is sort of like the money-making time for Jonathan Taylor and Edwards Alaire, even though people think of them, you know, quote unquote, as only rookies. And, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley are kind of like in the middle, but getting you know, closer to kind of like the end of the middle of like the prime opportunities that they have. Uh, and yeah, I think it makes total sense from that hor historical perspective to move 
these rookies up the board. So you must have been uh, like, you know, an emotional uh, roller coaster there during this Cowboys game. Mike McCarthy picks up his first win. Crazy game. CeeDee Lamb looks really good, man. Um, but my question is, Michael Gallup, is his fantasy season in trouble? I don't think so. Um, I still think there's enough fantasy goodness within that offense. And, uh, you know, Gallup was so productive last year that I still think he's going to find a way to get production. Well, you, you know, the other thing, too, is I don't think Dak's always going to be running in three touchdowns. Um right. So, you know, maybe that opens up some of the points and takes them elsewhere. But are you ready to say that C.D. Lamb is a better receiver than Michael Gallup? Mm, yeah, I mean, he he probably is. But, like, I don't know if I actually should say that. Like, what, what do we have for C.D. Lamb that indicates he's a better receiver? There's the draft capital. And there's two games of production. And, I mean, what he did in college. But, like, Gallup has two seasons in the NFL, not insignificant draft capital. Uh, and the most recent season was one where he was, I think like low key, one of the 10 best receivers in the league. Maybe we'll just drop it to like 15 or 18 or something like that. But like on a, a yards per game basis, like he was surprisingly up there. Um, Lamb is probably better, but like I, I want to give like the veteran deference to a guy who actually has done it before in the NFL because that means something. Um, you know, Michael Gallup too. So I'm looking at this right now, dude. His air yards per target pretty strong. Um, fourteen point one in his first season, twelve point three in 2019. At seventeen point nine this season, I think that when everything is said and done, CD Lamb will be the better player, but um. I wanted to try to make a case here, but it's just way too early to uh, to to make that uh, distinction. Yeah, I mean, long term, Lamb will probably be the better player, but I would still say that Gallup right now is probably the better player. Okay, that's fair. Let's talk about uh, Mike Kosicki pretty quickly here. First week of the season, a lot of people thought that uh, you know we were going to get another disappointing season. Actually, puts up 130 yards and a touchdown over the weekend. Um, I don't know. Like this feels like to me a spot where it's still hard to say exactly what's going to come from him and how things are going to function for Miami. Are you feeling strong either way? Mm, not really. Although like it was an impressive performance. Like, okay, Buffalo, uh, I believe was without some key linebackers, but they still had two very good safeties, uh, you know, who have, like historically done a pretty good job of shutting down tight ends. Um, and even with that, he just went off and uh, you would kind of expect him to get the opportunities given that Miami would be in a pass heavy game script and that they don't really have an established middle of the field wide receiver. Uh, and so in theory, he could soak up a lot of those targets and we did see that happen in week two and then now entering week three, he's playing against the Jaguars, who last year were one of the worst teams in the league against tight ends. Let's see if he does it again. You know, like, let's see if he can build good performance upon good performance. I thought Justin Herbert played pretty well for the Chargers. Joshua Cully had 23 attempts. We talked about Cully earlier in the episode. It looks to us like he's going to have 
possibly value for you moving forward. Um, as far as the receiver, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say possibly. Like you think it's definite. Like well, twenty three attempts, man. That's a is lot. He, is he Melvin Gordon? Like I think he has. Like, yeah. Not not quite the full Melvin Gordon role, but something pretty close to it. You know, like eighty five percent of the Melvin Gordon role, ninety percent of it. Like he's doing a pretty good impersonation of Los Angeles Melvin Gordon. Fair enough. Um, let, let's turn though our attention towards Herbert and these receivers. So Keenan Allen, I think, picked up um, you know a benefit of playing with Herbert as opposed to Taylor. If things stay this way, and I guess the the, the question is. Do you believe the Chargers when they say that it's going to be Taylor when he's healthy? Um, and if so, how is that uh, going to impact what we could otherwise expect from the uh, you know this group of receivers? Yeah, uh, it just seems so unbelievable that they would do that because I thought Herbert, especially under the circumstances, looked great. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I mean, I guess you kind of have to take them at uh, at their word i th- i find it hard that uh anthony lynn would go out of his way to say that that's what he would do and then go back on it later so yeah i do think it's the case where uh if tyrod taylor or uh tyrod taylor is healthy enough to to start they're going to start him it just it's unbelievable i, I want to ask you about keenan allen versus mike williams yep because i i wrote a piece on action <laughs> network and uh, obviously, this is just what happens when I write a piece and I try to take a stand. The the game right after that, uh, the guy that I'm sort of going against just goes absolutely off. Um, and we kind of saw that with Keenan Allen. My theory that Williams, he's I mean, obviously he's a different type of receiver than Keenan Allen. That he might actually be like quote unquote better. Uh, however it is that you kind of want to like frame it, but you know, like more air yards per game on easily fewer targets um, over like not counting this past game. Cause I, I haven't done the numbers yet to like update it. But if you look at what Williams did uh, like from week five on, uh, cause he was injured in week four came back in week five last year. If you just look at what he did compared to what Keenan Allen did over that same time span, Williams had, more yards on fewer targets, more efficient on a, a per snap basis, a per route basis. Um, like I think there's the, the, the possibility that he's the better wide receiver, especially considering the, the target discrepancy, like in a normal world, if you saw someone just crushing their efficiency like this, you would think, okay, we need to shift just a little bit of the opportunities away from this guy who's less efficient and towards the guy who's more efficient. And uh, if, if Williams is out there with Taylor, because I think Taylor's skill set actually might work a little bit better with Williams in that like Taylor can just throw it out there and let Williams go get it. Um, There needs to be a little more precision, a little more timing with Allen. And I just don't think that really suits Taylor's strengths. Um, so I think Taylor is better for for Williams, um, and then the opposite. Herbert is better for Keenan Allen. I agree with that point about um, you know the flip between the two of them. 
in relation to the quarterbacks. I also think Herbert might help out Austin Eckler. Um, but in terms yes, of definitely, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Allen versus Williams. So Allen, you know, definitely a great route runner has that good short area quickness. Um, like you said, there's that element of timing that's going to come in with the passer. Um, I don't think that many people would argue with that. Mike Williams' best trait, though, if you had to pick one trait, what do you think it is? It's his ability to go downfield and turn like 50, 50 balls into like 65, 35 balls. Yep. But like his, his ability to go downfield and catch deep passes. Uh, and in the past, we've also seen that with, uh, and it's kind of correlated, but like the ability to score touchdowns. Like he's been better at that than Keenan Allen has. Which one of those skill sets do you believe is more rare in today's NFL? Um, sort of Allen's versus Williams. Yeah, I think probably Williams. I agree. You know, I want to make a strong case here for Allen because there's a part of my intuition that is telling me I don't agree with you. But if I'm trying to find some way that I can frame my argument, I'm struggling to find it. It's easy to say that Keenan Allen is the better receiver because like in real life, he is the better receiver. <laughs> like he's, he's the more skilled player, right? But like football is a physical game. It's not about like how skilled you are. Like look at DK Metcalf, like not to say that he has no skill, but skill is not his primary attribute. It's just like physical dominance. And that matters most. And like Williams can be physically dominant in a way that not many other wide receivers can. And even though he missed a game last year, and even though he didn't get many targets, he was still, I think, maybe like fifth in the league in end zone targets. Like if he had had just a little more touchdown luck, we'd be talking about someone who had like a 2018 Kenny Galladay type of season. You know what I mean? Where it's yep. like a thousand yards and like five to six touchdowns. Like yeah, yeah, I was that, gonna oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's like where Mike Williams was, just in terms of like the production he had and the opportunities he was given. Yeah, you know, one of the things that makes it hard is if you look at Keenan Allen's career at this point, he has four 1,000 yard seasons. Mike Williams just has one. Um, you know, maybe there's reason to believe that if we look at the rest of their careers, Allen's 1,000 yard seasons, you know there's not going to be as many and Williams can catch him. But if you're making the argument at this point in time, I still think it's going to be really tough to pelt to, to sell people on that. But I do hear what you're saying. Um, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, just to uh, put the nail in this coffin here from the fantasy perspective, Allen is clearly the better player, especially for PPR or even half PPR because he just gets so many more targets and he's pretty efficient at turning targets into receptions, that that just overwhelms any edge that Williams has in terms of his ability uh, or his efficiency at turning targets into yards. But in standard leagues, like really over the past, like now it's 14 games. In standard leagues over the past 14 games, Williams has uh, been right there with Keenan Allen on far less usage. Like if his target opportunities bump up just a little bit, uh, I think there's a real chance that not in terms of receptions, but in terms of like yards and touchdowns, he actually outproduces Allen. I don't think I would disagree with that, um, but we have to move on here. Um, 
Raheem Mostert. Oh, we don't. We do not have to move him. <laughs> we have to. Sorry. We have to. Yeah. Um, is uh, Raheem Mostert just really good? Or, and do I need to accept that Tevin Coleman just isn't as awesome as I want him to be? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Um, you know, I mean, it's hard to know with Moser, but like he's, he's always efficient on a, like a per touch basis. Um, whether it's like receiving or running, uh, and yeah, I mean, we saw what he did. Like he's just, he's so good at exploding through the hole. Uh, and then like, once that happens, he has like near track star level type of speed. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't think he's like an incredibly nuanced runner, but I don't think he has to be with the blocking scheme. Yeah, exactly. Because what I was going to say was this is interesting because this is one of the few case studies in the backfield where we've got to see a lot of different players operate in it at different times. Now, a lot of them have been successful, but just the sheer volume of these explosive type of plays that Mostert is generating is enough for me to say that there's definitely has to be something there. Now, we've known that they've had a lot of really athletic backs and, you know, McKinnon had a nice play. Uh, we have seen Coleman. We've seen Matt Breida. But I don't think any of them, what they've been able to do, really compares to Mostert. So I do think that we have to rule that he's pretty good. And, um, you know, I've been a Tevin Coleman truther. but um, And I understand that he's hurt now. Um, so maybe I have to give him one more chance when he comes back. But it's getting harder as the days go by. Um, I want to share a couple of notable game level similarity projections for people that are starting to try to figure out what they're going to do with their lineups next week. Um, go to the site and read about game level similarity projections. If you're unfamiliar, if you're listening, we talk about them a lot. So you probably are. Uh, I picked off guys that won't be obvious, but given their matchup have really surprisingly optimistic projections this week. And then Matt, you can fill in with any of these if you like them. Devontae Parker versus Jacksonville. Deontay Johnson versus Houston. Uh, The GLSP likes him a lot more than Juju. Keelan Cole versus Miami. James Robinson off of a great game. He's a top eight running back in the projections versus Miami. It really likes Ryan Tannehill to have another solid game. He's facing Minnesota. And if Justin Herbert plays, it thinks he can do very well against the Carolina Panthers. Any reaction to those names or another name you want to float out, Matt, as we look forward to next week? Uh, I'm a little more pessimistic about Devonte Parker, given that he's going to have to match up against CJ Henderson, uh, who the Jags used in shadow coverage in week two. Uh, and he did awesome. I think they're going to use him again in that capacity. And, uh, I don't know, like he has like defensive rookie of the year type of potential. Like he's done amazingly well and he was drafted, I think number nine overall. And like, he's looked as advertised, uh, Deontay Johnson, um, he's probably going to get shadow covered from Bradley Roby, which, uh, I think is hilarious that the Texans are using Bradley Roby <laughs> in shadow coverage. Like, uh, he's not like, he's not someone that you think of as like a shutdown type of corner, but the Texans are somehow acting as if he is. So, uh, I think it actually might be a good thing for Deontay Johnson to be running <laughs> most, of, most of his routes against Bradley Roby or like at a minimum, it's, uh, it's not a negative. Uh, and then, uh, Keelan Cole, uh, who will be playing on Thursday night football, I believe. Uh, I think he has actually a, a pretty good matchup. Um, Byron Jones, cornerback for the Dolphins, is injured. Uh, and so that means they've had to shift around some of what they're doing in the secondary. So Nick Needham, uh, who was a uh, an atrocity in coverage in the second half of last season and, and a backup to start this year, 
he's now their slot, uh, their slot cornerback. So Keelan Cole going against him, I think has like a little more potential than you would normally think of with uh, Keelan Cole. Wow, Matt, I love the breakdown there. Um, I have to ask, you write a um, matchups piece every week. How long does that take you to put together in terms of gathering the research and then writing it? That must take a long time, I feel like. The uh, the wide receiver cornerback matchups yeah, piece? Yeah, yep. Uh, yeah, that takes a chunk of Sunday and then a lot of Monday. Yeah, wow. Um, that's the crazy thing, right? So you spend so much time actually operating... Like for, for when, for when other people, they're looking at what, um, you know, transpired out of everything they were doing for the giving week, you're already on to the next. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, for the most part, like, uh, I'm not going to say I don't watch games or anything like that, but like watching games on Sunday, isn't like the number one thing I'm doing. Like I'm already trying to gather data from those games, uh, and spin it forward for the coming week. Yeah. All right. Well, definitely um, check out Matt's article because it is really thorough, really good, as you got to see from those notes that he had on uh, these early GLSPs. That does it for uh, this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Bet Online for sponsoring the show, as well as Visa and Indeed. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember... It's not a fantasy if you believe it. The wait is over. Football is finally back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses don't forget to use promo code blue wire at betonline.ag that's blue wire all one word bet online your online sports book experts